Greetings to all beings, sentient, insentient, and otherwise. It's another edition of the Sensitive Skin Podcast. I'm your host, Bernard Meisler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Sensitive Skin Magazine, and we've got a great show for you today. Our guest is Rebecca Weiner-Tompkins. Rebecca is a terrific poet and also a top-notch musician. She plays with the band Life in a Blender, and she's played with everybody from Patti Smith to, uh, I don't know, Life in a Blender. And, uh, oh, she's also the author of the recently published collection, King of the Fireflies, uh, which is a terrific, terrific book. It's available on Amazon and elsewhere. And is published by Sensitive Skin Magazine Press, or Sensitive Skin Books, or whatever we're calling ourselves these days. I can never, get, I can never get it straight. And uh, I also wanted to mention too that uh, it's funny. I've, I, I've frequently had trouble pronouncing her name, especially when I first met her. I was like, "Is it Rebecca Weiner Tompkins or Rebecca Weiner Tompkins?" And uh, there's an easy way to remember this with those Germanic names when it's E I like hers is, it's pronounced I, like Weiner. If it was I-E, like Matt Weiner, the producer of Mad Men and a bunch of other shows, well, there you go. It's pronounced E. Get it? I-E, it's Weiner. E-I, it's Weiner. Now, the funny part about this is that my name is Meisler. M-E-I. Meisler. Get it? And because I'm a moron, I had trouble remembering how to pronounce Rebecca's name. Anyway, I finally gotten it right. And we had a good talk. We uh, spoke about, uh, you know, her background, where she grew up, uh, why she wanted to become a poet, and uh, baseball. We spoke about baseball for a while, then talked about uh, our adventures uh, temping in New York City. Um, I met Rebecca in New York a number of years ago, and uh, she's since relocated to the delightful locale of Nashville, Tennessee. I'm kind of jealous of her. Not that I'm sad about where I live. It's pretty nice here. But I somehow think, oh, if I was in New York, I'd like to live in Nashville too. But I don't live in New York, which is good. Although I'm going to New York next week. And I'm really looking forward to it. And then I looked at the weather report and I'm already looking forward to coming back home. At any rate, without further ado... Here is the delightful Rebecca Weiner Tompkins. Oh, yes. And of course, she will be reading us some of her poems towards the end of the podcast. So stick around and enjoy. Rebecca Weiner Tompkins, author of King of the Fireflies, just recently released by Sensitive Skin Books. I wanted to ask you, where are you right now? I happen to be in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh on a very bleak day here on an historic block where they're turning a beautiful, uh, an old church into a Airbnb. It's the sign of the time. So oh, nice. But they, there is Moses on the, on the front lawn. Every night I want to go steal Moses, but I figure that they probably have a camera on me. So I haven't done it now that I've said it out loud. I'm sure they'll know who to look for when Moses goes missing. So. Well, you know, I, it is a sign of the times, but converting churches into anything other than churches is okay as far as I'm. I remember, That's probably true. I remember yeah. going to the limelight years ago and realizing it was a church. People say, they should turn all churches into discotheques. But. That was a pretty great place, <laughs> that old limelight. I know. I, I think it's gone back to a club, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, not a good one. You know, not some other kind of club. Not for the hip. So I, I met you in New York. Do you split your time between New York and Nashville these days or mostly Nashville or? It's becoming mostly Nashville. I had intended to um, sort of go back and forth, but I've had I have less places that I can stay in New York now other than hotels. And that's a little pricey. And I, I guess I was, it was hard for me to imagine that I would actually really sever my ties with New York. As you know that you've done it. And, you know, I, I in my. I, I am a New Yorker and somehow I seem to be spending more time here now, but I left, I thought I was leaving for better air and quality of life here. And really, um, Nashville is in a basin. So the air is actually worse here and the quality of life, apparently 150 Californians and New Yorkers are moving here by, you know, by the day. Wow. So it, c- it could be in New York only without any public transportation or places to walk. Uh-huh. So it's, uh-huh. and, they, they're and, not doing it. And one of the reasons where. I ended up where I am was because of the air quality, 
which is usually incredible here. You know, we got like, like between my house, my house is like three miles from the ocean and in between is like a redwood forest, you know, so the air here is usually like incredible, but the last couple of weeks it was unbreathable. So, uh, but it's better now. It, it rained a couple of days, so. Well, I saw your air quality. I monitor it here, and you you are like sort of Beijing. Yeah, we were Beijing worse. levels or or yeah. worse even. It was it was it was rough. I mean, you didn't you didn't want to go outside even with a mask for for a few days there. It was bad. Pretty yeah. deadly. No, it's it's awful. Well, I I'm a should I can I talk about anything on this thing? You can talk about anything. You can <laughs> you can use curse words. There's oh. n- there's no subject off off base okay well don't tempt me with the curse words because i'm one of those people i have to like control myself so let's let's like people say i curse like a sailor or whatever that means but i i came here as a i'm sort of a they call it a survivor the 9-11 survivor but i i don't feel like i did anything that made me heroic but because i taught down by ground zero um i now have one of those rare lung diseases that only come from toxic metals and and strange gases so i thought I did need to get away from New York. It was making it worse. But again, as I said, I don't I don't think it's much better here. So but I, I guess I'm here. Yeah. I, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to leave New York, too, is uh, uh, yep. from the 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 9-11 air was kind of the, the and I, I wasn't that close. I was like so I was in the East Village. I don't know if that's two miles away or something like that. Yeah, um, I was there too, though. But it was terrible. Remember how your uh, yeah your apartment was probably it was in the vents after that. You could never escape it. But yeah, even I mean, school was worse. We they opened um the windows were open during everything, so we went back. They hadn't cleaned it, and there was there was actually ash on my desk and yeah, you know, sort of remnants of everything. Yeah, so. I remember uh, uh, I was reading about like what was in the building, you know. And it was like, yes. oh, the first 50 stories were made with asbestos. And, and anyway, I, I I kind of freaked out about it. And I went and bought like a HEPA vacuum cleaner and I got HEPA air filters. And I was actually like yeah. cleaning the walls of my apartment because they had this kind of sticky dust on them. And I remember my neighbors all thought I was nuts. And they're saying the air is fine. And then do you uh. remember they gave us the... Uh, uh, they gave it was either eight hundred or a thousand dollars. Oh yes, I, yes, I got that too, and the money, and then also I, you know, I bought. Well, they gave me the two free HEPA filters, which I wish I hadn't thrown out. Yeah, and I still have that vacuum. Yeah, but no, they, they told us. But there are kids down there now. I know friends of my my son and daughter who have breast cancer and other rare oh, cancers. Actually, three people in my English department have passed away from rare blood wow. cancers, and you know it's. The lawyer I have, and we all have lawyers just because we're supposed to, but they that's their big campaign now is to get people at least to use the the health program that that I'm a member of it also mm-hmm. just because of these things that are coming how many years later? what year is this? It's seventeen years later, yeah, so. yeah. Well, these, these things take time, right? They, don't they do. I'm, I mean, people say, did you work? I mean, now I'm on like sort of long-term medical leave, but it's all from like certified 9-11 illnesses. And, but I, for years, I didn't think anything was wrong with me. So, yeah, but I, I, I'm alive. That's good. Right. We're here. There you go. There, there you, we are. <laughs> we're ahead of the, we're ahead of the game. <laughs> no I know. one ever thought I was going to make it past 40 back in the day. So, you know. Well, yeah, I see that there are many things we've survived. I know. I absolutely know what you mean, yeah. but it's good. So how, how long were you in New York for? Well, I, I actually did spend my early years in, in Rockland County in New York City. And then I lived in California for high school and most of junior high and college. So I guess I was there. I came back. I'm just trying to, I brought 1983. And I, I guess in 2016 is that's where I really started being here more. So how many years is that? 2016, 16, 83, 33 years, I guess. That's, well, that's a long time. You know, I still have an apartment, but I can't afford to live in it. So I have to rent it out. And oh, okay. <laughs> whenever I try to imagine, I, I like, it's just, and I have to, you know, I have, it's an old co-op and I have to pay the building a ton of money and have someone who pays rent. And by the time she pays my maintenance and mortgage, it's not much money, but I, I still hold on to it. I have the fantasy that when I get really old and need a doorman and an elevator, they'll welcome me back. And perhaps. when you're really, but, really rich, you can. Yeah. yeah when I'm, since I'm going more the opposite way, but I will say there, what I said before about 
there's no walking here. People, I if I go to play music at a, a bar that's like two blocks from here, I literally either drive or take a Lyft or an Uber. And mm-hmm. I was in New York recently just for about a week. And I, I just was in so much better shape just from walking everywhere at that brisk, you know, sort of obnoxious New Yorker pace. Yeah. And it really, it, it, in a way, it keeps you keeps you going. So I miss that. I, I miss that the most. Yeah, but. I, miss, I that's what I miss, too. I miss uh, walking out of my house pretty much any time of day and night and uh, uh, bumping into people and having those like long corner conversations or, you know, maybe leading to a cup of coffee, but sometimes you just stand there on the street and yak for, for an hour. Yeah. It's the best. People used to ride their bikes. In fact, I remember people like Andrew Hubner, who, you know, well, I'm another sensitive skin writer. Um, Like he would go by my house and, you know, we would just literally stand. I'd have my dog on a leash and I just, something about that, that, depth of encounter that just doesn't happen here. Here, I, once it's dark, I lock my doors and listen to the gunshots sort of ricocheting around my house. So you're is, in East Nashville, if I know I, uh, Nash, Nashville a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, supposedly, I mean, it's very gentrified now in a way that's rather obnoxious. That that part's not good. It's, um, but there really is, it's, I have one poem actually in the, in the book, so I'll, I will read that one. Okay. The South is another place. And Growing up in a very sort of leftist and civil rights activist family, um, my, they had a thing against the South. You're never supposed to like the South. I actually like the sensibility of the South in some ways, but but it, it's another planet. <laughs> I've gone somewhere else here. So yeah, it's 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 a mixed bag. You it's, know, I, it's I, okay though. I, I I like how friendly people are. People are very they friendly, are. and there's good food. There is good food, absolutely. Right before I. I got online with you here i had my leftover mexican shrimp you know from which you don't get anywhere else it's just a very particular shrimp and grits that kind of thing so uh, so how but so how did you find your way to nashville from new york uh, is it because uh, you're a, a musician besides a fine poet thank you um no i think in well maybe it did in 1993 or i guess no, maybe it was 1997 I, I was playing music with some new yorkers and we had a, a show down here and a radio show and came down and this is in the days where I was much more, what would you say? I, I, I just had no boundaries on my behavior. So we, we went front down on <laughs> day loose. drinking on lower Broadway. Okay. Footloose and fancy free. Yeah. That was it, really, the bad behavior days. But I've, I, I enjoyed being here then and I thought this would be a nice place to live. And that was an, an entirely different time here. So I thought about it over the years and then sort of put it out of my mind. And my, my former husband... um was a writer for a magazine, and he was down here a lot doing interviews with some country music stars and some other writers, and so we would come down, and again, I had this impulse that it would be nice to be here, and finally, in around 2013, my son and his his wife, she's from Memphis, she's a, a Andrew Eggleston, and she had spent her time here, so they moved back here, and that was a little more of an impetus to think, maybe I should come here. Then I got a, a grant from um BMCC where I was teaching to, to work on a book of poems and I decided I would like rent their back garage and I did that for a while and then it seems like I just didn't end up going back I, but I am playing a lot of music and uh-huh. you know we had a poetry reading the other night with a couple of uh, well-known musicians who also have some books so they were astonished they there hadn't really been an actual reading of this sort before and, and they're going to do it again it's going to be a series I think and there were more people at this reading than there are usually at gigs. Nice. It's it's pretty good. Do you by any chance know Jack Silverman? I don't think I do. Is he down here? He's he's, a, he's a, uh, yeah, big wheel in Nashville these days. He, Hmm. he was the editor for the Nashville time, the, the, what's the free local paper for, Oh, there's the East Nashvilleian and then uh, Nashville scene, Nashville scene. Yeah. He was the editor for Nashville scene for a while. He retired a couple of years ago and now he just, uh, uh, excellent guitar player, great guy. Um, hmm. Maybe I will introduce. Maybe I will introduce you to him. On, you absolutely uh, should. Sometimes I feel it's too small a town here that, uh-huh. I mean, everyone. You meet one person and you know about ten people they know, and and, right. and either or they're from New York or California, and so you have that connection too. Uh-huh. So, so, so did you get started first uh, with uh, music or with uh, writing? And what and when when did you get started and why did you get started? What drew you okay. into the arts? Well, first of all, my I have a rather bookish family. My father was a writer, published a couple of novels. One was um, The Morning After, made into a 
TV movie of the week on ABC with Dick Van Dyke. Oh, the on, wait, on... The, the nuclear disaster. Oh, no, that's no? incredible. Oh, yeah. my goodness. That one, when I watch, I have to lie on the floor when I watch that one. No, it was um, a movie about alcoholism. Dick Van Dyke is his one oh, very serious role. Yeah, yeah and, I remember that. Okay. So that was uh, my dad's novel. And it's funny, it's not available really on DVD or anything. People online are clamoring for it. Mm. And that and they actually filmed it near our house, which was peculiar because it was sort of my dad's semi autobiographical novel. So it was like the locale was very familiar. So so he was a writer. My mom has always had always worked in bookstores. She was the manager of the Harcourt Brace bookstore in New York and in San Diego for a while. So because um, we had moved to California when I was, I guess, in seventh grade or eighth grade. So I we had books everywhere, just like, you know, you. You, you can see me, so you can see there are books everywhere. Wherever I go, I lug my books. My my son, who um, he's also the son of a poet, and he has told me that I better start getting rid of a book, a box of books a day, because when I'm gone, he's just going to torch everything yeah. that I own. So <laughs> he doesn't. He's not. I mean, he's a good reader, but he he doesn't believe in keeping things. So there are books. Um, my brother right now works for Abrams. He's always been in publishing and he just published a children's book. I guess we, it's just writing was what I did. My first poem, um, we were at a baseball game and actually we have to be sure we bring up baseball because poets and baseball go together. But I was at a baseball game and I remember my first poem and I, I literally, it's, I'm going to recite it for you. All right. Should I? It's very corny. It's something like loneliness is cold and gray. A single leaf upon the oak, soon to be torn away by the wind, because none can survive alone. And I think I was in third grade. So oh, pretty good. For in case you want grade. to put that in your magazine. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. But I mean, my dad was always writing. I loved sitting in his room. You know, he had a great old Smith Corona typewriter, and I would sit there next to him and type on it when he wasn't there. So it was just what I did. Now we all played music in the, our family. We had I played violin and my sister played cello. My brother was piano. My dad actually wrote songs and had embarrassing for someone who was a union organizer. This was probably a big embarrassing thing for him. But he had a song that Barry Sadler. Do you remember the Green Beret musician? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yes. So he had a song, um, a couple of songs that he that were on How's the Barry that Sadler Green album. Green Beret so. song goes, "The Fighting Men." That, of oh, you Green remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sort of the A Team, but his song was. Um, what was it? Um, I, I do remember because it's on YouTube, but it's like North Carolina, South Carolina, made in Tennessee. What are the words? There'll be 49 broken hearts when I marry Lori Lee. It's Lori Lee. That's the title. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we had music and that, uh, you know, that was all around there. Um, so I was always writing, playing the violin, but I did quit violin when we moved to California because I had to walk to school and it was so dorky to be carrying this mm-hmm. ridiculous instrument. And only when I, I moved to Santa Barbara and met some bluegrass musicians there, and I learned that you didn't need to look at music and learn to sort of play along. And it, it's always been peripheral. I have to admit, in the last um, few years in New York and here, it's gotten much more important in my life. So, it, 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 And it seems I've played on a couple of Patti Smith albums and with some really fantastic musicians here. And I'm not thinking of it as anything about making a living. So for me, it's just been a real joy. And you know that, that and the writing... People always say, well, how do they connect? I mean, they don't, except both of those seem to be things that I do. Yeah, well, I, I, see the, I see the connection and uh, your, your poetry is very lyrical at times or it scans, maybe I should oh, say. But, oh, maybe so. Yeah. That might be true. Yeah. I mean, I taught English, you know, writing and all everything from remedial writing, creative writing. And that's where I met, met Drew. Oh, we OK. I was going to ask how you knew him. OK. Okay, well, that that's an interesting. I met him. I mean, I don't know if I was an adjunct. Maybe I had just been hired full time, and he was an adjunct at BMCC, and we we had jury duty together. Oh, and with Hetty Jones, you know Hetty Jones. Oh wow, um, so that was that was quite. A, we were quite a trio. They uh-huh. got rid of the three of us quickly at that. We never were. <laughs> none of us were on a jury. I so. never make it past the the voir dire. You know, no, they, no. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> I can get out of jury. I can get out of jury duty really quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't need any tricks, but anyway, I met him and I think, I mean, he was writing great fiction. Mm-hmm. I still have, I should tell him this, but I actually have a manuscript he gave me and that wasn't published, but it's in a box still. And since I'm a bit of a pack rat, I, I do, I still have it. Um, but I think I was sending things out and I'd had poems in various magazines and, 
I don't know. That's how I met you because he said, well, talk to my friend, buddy, and, you know, send this off. And mm -hmm. yeah, you came down started. to like one of the, the oh. first show at Bowery Poetry in yeah. like 2010, I think. Yes. You, came down? you had yeah. taken two, a couple of poems. I remember, you know, we, we had that video. There is a video of that. And I read two poems at that. And Drew was there and Ted Barron mm -hmm. and so many other people, Rod, Rod, Rob Harden. And who else was there? Oh, boy, just the great people. And then you had a big party. I think that was at, at Tim's Tim Beck's, house. Tim Beckett's yep. house. Yeah. Yeah. John and, Ferris and, was there. Oh, yeah. May he rest in peace. Fantastic. Absolutely. Bob Bowman was there, of course, because it was his place. Yeah. And that was Bob Bannister. Bob Bannister. Oh, you know Bob? Well, I knew him. I met him there and he was oh, playing okay. guitar. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm here to read poems, but I really wish I had my violin. Uh -huh. <laughs> and because of social media, of course, I feel like we've no, all gotten to know each other, at least it seems, in a yeah. much more deep way. I mean, I don't know. It's funny. I'm, you said Nashville's a small town, but so is New York. I mean, I'm, Oh, yeah. I, I, I just met someone who you know, Mia Hansford. Um, oh, okay. I have a friend here who's a musician and... Um, you know, he, he kept talking about his poet friend in New York, and it, that turned out to be her. And then it, actually someone I went to school with, a painter, Steve Westfall, he is friends with me, and she lives in Tennessee. So we're, we're all entwined. Yeah, I, I remember there were, we had one of those sensitive skin parties at Tim's house in Bed-Stuy, and this happened like three times during the night where two people arrived together who oh. like – who I'd both known in completely different worlds for like 20 years. And it was like, exactly. what? You guys know each other? Like, yeah, I'm her accountant. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was funny, but I know that's it. I actually, I think that Ted and Angie, um, had, or they knew my, my son and daughter-in-law and, you know, again, sometimes you wish you weren't as entwined as you were. It makes the world small in, in a good way. And also small in a sense that, there's never going to be anything new. If I burn my bridges or yeah. anything disastrous, <laughs> I can't. Well, you can do that better in New York. You can actually remake yourself. But yeah. I have the feeling Nashville. Well, New York. It, it, yeah. yeah. New York, they used to say, like, you could reinvent yourself just by, like, moving to a different neighborhood. <laughs> That's so <Right>. true. <laughs> and let me tell you, I've done it. But as you said, then it turns out that these connections sort of reconnect and so you're, you never really completely reinvent yourself yeah but after after time they all start coming together you know they do yeah as you get older you like that i'm appreciating it i mean i think a lot of us we we lose our our parents and we feel like our families are more fractured and so we rely more on our peers and the you know the, the communities we make so it's it's it is i think it's reassuring it to, is to connect. and it's also um it's also interesting uh, when you get into this age group demographic that we're in, yep. which I'll call, which I'll, I'll uh, charitably call early middle age. That's perfect. Yeah. So generous of you. <laughs> I, I know I'm a couple years older than you are, but yes, early middle age. Early middle yeah. age, yeah. So, <laughs> but it's funny. It's just like I've uh, reconnected with a lot of people and uh, people of people you had like maybe contentious relationships with or rivals rivalries with or falling outs or whatever when you're in your crazy wacky 20s when everybody's <sighs> like you know hormones are still totally jacked and you know oh, right. and chemically enhanced probably yes. or alcohol whatever enhanced and yep. uh crazy and then you 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 know like reconnect like in your 50s or whatever and people have had mm -hmm. lives right and they've had yeah, re and they've had real stuff happen to them and it sure yeah. puts a different perspective on things i think it, it, hopefully it, it gives you a little more empathy yeah i think people are much more compassionate and forgiving and and in some way some of the bad stuff that happened we feel like we shared that and even though it oftentimes did was fracturing it still makes us feel like we have some kind of yeah deeper connection and i i know what you're talking about yeah and it's <laughs> such made you know, and it's, it's, and it's funny. Some of these people who I like, whatever had a, you know, uh, uh, 
maybe they did something really shitty to me, or maybe I did something really shitty to them, or maybe both were its fault, which is usually the case, right? It's, and you get yep. to get to a point where you realize that it's just like it wasn't just their fault. I was, oh yeah, I was an asshole too, or whatever. And and then you go, yeah, well, well that happened, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so yeah, what are you doing now, anyways? You know, it's just like water under the bridge. It's it's it it's, is. It's kind of the the, the nice benefit of of getting older. I know. I feel like everything's tempered. We, we really do have better perspective. My screen is telling me if I press this button, I can get a screenshot of you. Let's see if I do. Oh, no, don't. Oh, oh no, it's not for public. <laughs> You're the one. Who, oh, my goodness. I just noticed I'm actually in the corner of the screen. I'm so glad we're not on TV. Right now. <laughs> cool. yeah. I mean, really. But, yeah. For those okay. in the audience who are wondering, we are doing a video Skype, but you shall never see this video. No, it's but just, it's good to – it does – I have to admit that speaking – into the void is a different thing, and, I, and so I'm happy to see you eye to eye. Yeah, yeah. It's glasses just, to glasses. Glasses to glasses, <laughs> funk to funky. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's also funny, of course, too, because like when we were kids, we were promised vacations on the moon, yeah. flying cars, and well, video TV. And we got the video, video phones. And we got the video phones, at least. Right? My dad yeah. used to, he, we would be in the car and we'd say, tell us a story. We're long drives. And they were always about things like this, you know, where you'll be able to look at your watch and see someone across the world. And, you know, half the time I have people walk down the street looking at their watch, talking right. to someone around right. the world. Yeah, that's the downside of it, too. You'll be looking at your watch, talking to people around the world rather than watching where you're going <laughs> that's or it, talking to the people next to you or yeah, I mean, I I'll sound like the <clears throat> you know the the old man telling you to get off my lawn for a second, but uh, yeah, I, I would. There's these nice benefits of technology, but uh, yeah. I think like you know the iPhone is probably mm -hmm. like the worst thing that's ever happened to I agree. humanity. You know, we have all the benefits of the internet, but it's come on, get on your fucking laptop at home when you're you know when you're out and about, be out and about, not like yep. still tethered to. The, you know, and checking your Facebook posts and see if you got any likes or whatever. Exactly. Actually, I was at a really wonderful show uh, the other night of, of someone who had been in a band. It's, it's sort of the Nashville punk scene. They're called the Bunnies from 36 years ago. And I noticed that it, it's the kind of music that in the 80s you would have been out there dancing and enjoying it. But so many people were about three feet from the stage holding their phones up basically videoing and taking pictures and i thought yeah. nobody is actually looking at the band they're sort of looking through their phone at the band and you know that's yeah. we've, we've lost it yeah and i i i know that's quite annoying in our day we held up lighters right you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> now they hold up the i know and the smoky days yes but I know. uh the, I, it's one of those things i wish for on youtube there should be a filter where if you're looking for videos of a band or whatever, there should be like no cell phone videos. Oh, yeah. Because right? there's Absolutely. all the horrible, horrible picture quality, horrible audio quality. Yeah. And, you know, you got to sift through them. So I know anything goes and people take actually and this is more of a vanity. But when I think about it, any show and even the reading the other night, people are which people are taking pictures constantly. So first of all, you wonder if they're even listening or seeing you. But then all of those things end up online and. You know, you see yourself in, in sort of the worst light. Like, yeah. I mean, a friend of mine told me I had no right to complain. I should be glad that people were at my show taking, enjoying me and taking a picture. But it's just, again, yeah. I don't know if I, I want to recreate it, and you know, for, for cyberspace forever. Yeah. And, it, and it's was, funny, too, because it's like there used to be an adage among photographers, like when people would say, what's the best camera? And they would say the one that you have with you, right? So like all right. real photographers managed to have some kind of mini camera, like a Pentax oh, yeah. or one of the, right? You'd carry it around. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool that we have cameras with us all the time. But at the same time, everybody takes so many fucking pictures that they never yeah. look at them, right? They you don't. Do, you, I mean, I've got thousands of pictures in my, oh. in my uploads folder. I never look at them. Me neither. My phone crashes every day and it tells me you have no more space right. and my computer too. And then I think, oh, I can't go through it right now um, because my mom had passed away. My sister is scanning, you know, actual photographs. And today I had a moment and they're all coming into my Dropbox and they're all files. And then I thought, well, wait, where are the real pictures? Is she just going to throw those out? Because 
you know, it's someone years later in my life going to look in my computer to see like our, mm-hmm. our, our family history. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of unfiltered, whatever. While I'm talking to you, a huge squirrel is I'm pointing over is on the roof next door. And it's, it's a little scary. It's a little bit of the wildlife here. Wow. I'm glad I'm safe in my, my <laughs> house. Well, it's, you, it, were you, you're in California right now. So you still have daylight. Is that yeah, true? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, do you have wildlife besides squirrels or is it kind of I city do. wildlife? I, I have some very scary things in the South. I have, well, we have brown recluse spiders. And someone told me the other day that there are only two two truths, basically. Either you have an infestation of brown recluse spiders in your house or you are live in denial. And uh-huh. they are, they're in here because every now and then I'll open a cupboard and we have these little glue traps and they're filled with these things. So Yeah, I got a million know, you, spiders yeah. in my house too, but in oh. my basement but i figure they're uh they're they're eating the bad insects or at least that's what i tell myself so, i hope they're yeah. eating insects in here and not my because you know the rec it's, it's sort of the urban folklore thing of the brown recluse like if one bites you your whole body deteriorates on the spot so i'm waiting it's gonna happen if you if you don't hear from me again but we you know it's it's the south and again i i have, I have to I'll have to read my poem about that but the things are just I don't know. Is a sort of a dark edged nature thing going on here? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of well, there are possums. You, ha- I had those in Brooklyn too. But there are some odd creatures out there at night. Chupacabras. Oh, well, what is that? That sounds like something I saw in Mexico. <laughs> I think actually. Yeah. I, I forget exactly what it is. But it's kind <laughs> Not of like, a good thing. It's kind of like Bat Boy or you know Chupacabra. Oh yeah. A, yeah, I think with a face of a human with the body of a bat. I think we have those. Yeah. That- yeah. <laughs> That's why I lock the doors at night. If, yeah, I'm, I, if I'm in my house alone, I have to lock everything yeah, up. I, so. I think I got bitten by one of those uh, brown recluse spiders like 20 years ago, but like a slow moving one, you know, so oh, just, the deterioration's just taken, you know, <laughs> taken time to, to kick in, you know. Oh, so maybe it'll, it'll continue on. I yeah. Know, I hope that's <laughs> so that's how I explain this aging process. It's really just a spider bite that's just slowly going exactly, yeah. inside. <laughs> I can handle that, though. Well, I, you know, when you first mentioned that you were going to do these, this is such a great idea, the podcast, one of the things you wrote in your email was, well, we'll talk about baseball. So I actually, as I said, I was so ready with some some baseball things, but none of them are that interesting. But I, I was ready to go. In case right, you let's, hear, let's, let's hear your take on baseball. Well, I as love a, baseball. But the thing is, poets love baseball. I mean, as again, you know, all the writers who've written books about baseball and all the poets who adored it. I keep thinking of Donald Hall and Roger Angel, but my family was quite into baseball. And since we were New Yorkers, it was always the Yankees. And mm-hmm. my, But because I was a rebellious young child, I, I had to not like the Yankees. So I had to like every other team. And then the Mets came. So I thought I should be a Mets fan and came back to the Yankees. And then we moved to California. So LA Dodgers, got to go for that. Uh-huh. I still have my hat. And then Ugh, I had I a boyfriend. I hate the Dodgers. <laughs> well, okay. You have a, you have a good team. You and my brother live near each other. So I, I, I know you have a whole other thing. But this goes back to my family roots, which is in the Bronx. So oh, mine too. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. oh, okay. I didn't know you're a Bronx person. Yeah. Okay. My mom grew up in the Bronx. Mine too. Did she go to Columbus High? Christopher Columbus High, maybe? Oh, what's the? I don't <laughs> think so. She so there's another on one a, actually. She lived on what was it? She lived in a building called Stimson Place, something hmm. like that, South Bronx. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, like a hundred. Yeah, oh, near it, the Grand Concourse. I don't know. Oh the exact, yeah. The exact well, my, my mine were near the Bronx Zoo, and I and it was Honeywell Avenue, and and. And actually, well, my mom, since she's not here, I can say whatever I want, but my mom was quite a jock. And um, as many people did then, she graduated at like age 15 and a half. She was very smart, but she was, she played on the basketball and volleyball team. And she had a, a gym teacher who had been a Martha Graham dancer. And I guess that was just her teacher. And years later, when my mom and dad had split up, she ended up um, going, moving back to New York from California and falling in love with her former gym teacher. And they lived together until her uh, Rose passed away, so it was. I always it was a real Bronx love story uh-huh. you know, starting Thanks. out. Very taboo though. They didn't. You yeah. know, this, she sort of didn't come out till Rose died. And but going back to the baseball thing, I when I moved back to New York, I had a boyfriend who was really into the Mets, and he worked in a bar in the East Village. But so we would have these Met watching dates. So but I would record the games on a I guess my VCR. So I would walk over to Miracle Grill. 
Mm-hmm. And but I wasn't allowed to. We weren't allowed to watch it or talk about it. And then at like three in the morning, when the bar got out, we'd go and watch the Mets game, you know, and sort of eat popcorn. It was such a, a thing. I don't know. Were you? But then I got. I, were you were you watching uh, the '86 Mets World Series at the Horseshoe Bar on Seventh Street? In Avenue no, B? I was I was doing something else. I was, but that's actually not the World Series. Was that the Red Sox and the Yankees? Yeah, the Red, no. so- Red Sox Mets. The okay. famous Bill Buckner ball between his legs. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Well, listen to this. <laughs> okay. So I also lived in Boston for a while in the '80s, and um, then went off to Maine and with my poet husband at the time and had a child. And when I came back to New York, so I had my one child. Okay. So we were here and I still loved the Red Sox because I used to go to Fenway park a lot. And that was just became, that became my real baseball. And there's the other side of this too, which is like, I really like a league. So I was, I was upstate New York at like the, in Geneva near um, Hobart and William Smith college. So I, I liked the Geneva Cubs, but meanwhile, I stuck with the, with the Red Sox. That seemed to be, I found it. It was a rebellion against my family's New York roots but I was giving birth, I think, on the night of that game. And oh. like, so I got back to my house and there were neighbors there, you know, watching. And they were all great New York fans, of course. And I was this sort of just really trashed out mother, new mother who didn't know what to do with my with, um, having just had a daughter at St. Vincent's Hospital, which is now condos, another sign of change. And that game, that was the game. Buckner, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I would so remember that. I would have rather have been in a bar that night. Let me tell <laughs> Did you ever see that uh, picture Ted Barron has posted from that night? No, I oh, need to see that. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's And it's like the whole gang that I knew at that time is like, in, yeah. because it was funny. It was like Vesic and it was full of like artists and writers and poets and whatever. And oh. all like getting really excited about baseball, which was <laughs> that's like, what I, that's yeah, not a typical like sports crowd, but like everybody was gathering there every night. It was really, uh, it was really fun. And that's and, exactly good. Yeah. yeah. And Ted took a picture. It's like John Ferris and Steve Cannon are in this picture watching uh-huh. baseball, you know, which is, I don't think they normally did but yeah well that's why that's what i mean about the whole artist and poet thing for baseball there's some magical thing about it i'm not quite sure what it is though ah we all have it though it's something somebody once said to me it's because writing and baseball are sort of synchronistic in their process and i don't even know if that's true Hmm. i I, it's a poetic game how about that that's it it is a poetic it can be it can be yeah 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 but yeah i was I was saying I was like, I was a Yankees fan because my family was from the Bronx and I grew up in Red Sox country and I was one of the, one of the few uh, Yankees fans. And, uh, but it's funny too. It's like this sort of strange thing. I just, you just reminded me, but like there's, there's a, the real rivalry scene between like the Bronx and Brooklyn, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We, so we, I've always like hated the Dodgers. Like yeah, that's for, how, for no good reason. <laughs> you know, no, I forget like, that they were. My dad was from Brooklyn, and I mean, my mom was the Bronx, so I always think of the Bronx. But one time, for the, I guess I just saw what was it called? What's the Brooklyn Stadium? You can still see it in Brooklyn. It was Ebbets called, Field. Yeah. So when I first went by there, it really gave me a rush of something, and I thought, how does this connect to the Dodgers now? Uh, I, I don't understand. <laughs> but it's so Brooklyn, and yeah. Dodgers are so California. But that's how. See, baseball is a fickle thing. You know, you can love a player and then that player is in some, I guess this is true of all sports. I don't understand. They get bought and then they're gone or, yeah, or you know, a team will move. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very strange, uh, yeah, it's a very strange system. Uh, the major league sports teams are exempt from the antitrust laws because they essentially oh. are a monopoly and mm-hmm. then they go into all these cities and they, you know, they get billions of dollars in tax credits when they build a new stadium which really does nothing for the local economy oh yeah not at all and then the players like get paid millions of dollars you know even if you're like Mm -hmm. the lowest player you know i think like uh, i think in the nba the minimum wage is like eight hundred thousand dollars or something (laughs) like that yeah that's like the worst guy in the team who never plays you know um ah but at the same That's, time, they're like they're they're still like what's the word chattel, you know? They can oh, just, chattel, perfect. They yeah, can just, just yeah. say, hey, guess what? You're not on the team anymore. We traded you, you know. Or, <laughs> and the and the and the owners are still called owners, and it's it's 
Very, yeah, that really is interesting. The owner of a team, the owner of hmm. yeah, it's very antebellum somehow in a it in is a strange I know. horrible way, but it is definitely. Yeah. See, when I hear that, I know yeah, that's why I don't like sports. But though when my mom died, I um I made a big deal about this on Facebook, but because she was such a jock and I was such a klutz. I was I couldn't even learn to swim properly. I was I was very like everything I did was was really late in life. I think even riding my bike. And so the day she died, it was like six in the morning here and no one was awake that I could call and wake up. So I had this little basketball hoop in my backyard and I was in my pajamas and I just went out and started, I, I was going to say shooting hoops, whatever, throwing the basketball. And I, now I do it almost every day because I think, you know, if my mom is out there somewhere, she's going to be really proud of me that I'm I'm Aww. sort of turning into this jock now. But but mine is sort of ridiculous looking. But it's again, I I never understood sports. It seemed to be the antithesis of of the arts. You know that, that you yeah. could be one or the other. You I, could not be both. I, I I you know I I've kind of like will exist in both of those worlds. I when I was a kid. Um, I was really into sports because I was a, a nerd and really good at math, and I loved the, uh, the stats, and especially baseball. It was like you'd open the Sunday paper, and there'd be an entire page like listing the stats of like every player in the major oh, leagues, yeah. and it was like you could pour over it and whatever. And uh, then, uh, you know, when I got to a certain age, I lost all interest in that because I found other things that were more interesting. In, yeah, and in, in life is a teenager, than yes. sports. <laughs> so, so I kind of lost all interest in it. And then, in like I don't know, it's like uh, I don't want to get too much in the specifics, but I was, <laughs> I was in, I was in Finelli's, and uh, oh, I was like Finelli's. in like the early '90s, and the mm -hmm. Knicks were playing, and the, there was a playoff game with the Knicks, and uh, yep. Uh, basically I'd quit drinking like 10 days earlier and I was still in oh, wow. sort of like that, like that, you know, semi hallucinatory you, state yeah. <laughs> that you're in. And you were still in the bar. It's and I was hard. Still That's the, a hard thing. Yeah, yeah. Still in the bar. And, but you know, I, I you know, you did it. I did yeah. it. And, uh, I, I, I mean, strangely enough, when I quit drinking, I hung out in bars every day for like years, like, because that's where all you know, the people. Yeah. Are, so, yeah, but, yeah. And somebody said, what do you go to a bar for if you don't drink? I said, oh, who goes to a bar to drink? You go to a bar to hang out. If I want to drink, I could like, it's a lot cheaper to do it at home if I wanted to. Do that. Oh yeah. And actually, yeah. you know, when you're really doing it, it's usually more secretive. Yeah. That way. So, <laughs> yeah. Actually here in Nashville and in New York, wherever I've been, I mean, so many people are in recovery and, and, but, but again, where has everybody been in the bar? Everybody's having their diet Cokes or their soda with bitters or whatever. Right. Whatever right. Well, that's doing. why the pink but, pony in New York was great because it was the coffee yeah. bar next to Max fish. And we would just bounce back in between the, the two yes. places. Max fish yeah. is, I have a quite, that's where I met my, uh, I don't want, I'm sort of making myself sound like as someone here said a three time loser, but, uh, my, my three time second winner, marriage. three time winner. Three time win now. <laughs> That's it. But Max Fish was uh, the scene of a, a a lot of good things. But that's where I I, I met my husband, and it, you know it was. But it, those were in the sort of days of debauchery, and yeah. it's still that's all. I'll say that they did a, have a good jukebox. They there. had a great Wonderful. jukebox and good oh. pinball machines. And the yeah. pink pony had good sandwiches. Yeah, uh, that's but, so true. And uh, but, but anyway, I was sitting in Finelli's and the Knicks were on TV and I was just kind of I looked up and I was like, oh, my God, this is like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But, oh. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I, I like I like basketball and yeah. as opposed to other sports, it's not quite as violent as some of the other sports. Yeah. But uh, I love it. I love the sound of the. This is going to sound so corny, but the sound that the sneakers make on uh -huh. the, the squeaks. I, that yeah, squeak is so my son for a while worked for, I, I shouldn't even say it, the guy who owns the Knicks, um, who also has a band. And my son was working for him in a music capacity, but he was always getting to sit right in the front there. And I would sometimes see him on TV and I was just so envious just to, it's a, it's a beautiful sport. Yeah. And I, I, I would like to, to go see that. I don't, we don't really see a lot of that here. Yeah. I, I, but, I don't know. But, but I mean, the thing why, why I like it and why I can ex sort of tread in those two worlds, it's one of the few ways, uh, and you can do this in some of the arts, but where you can actually see like world-class excellence happening live. You yeah. Know? So in that sense, it's like uh, it, when it's done well, right? When it's done in the more skillful sense, like a Steph yeah. Curry, it's more, it's like uh, the equivalent in the arts would be like ballet or, or uh, theater. 
or, no, or, 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 or music, you know, well, opera. Get, I was quite a, I mean, when you're right there and it's being performed, I, I agree with you. Do you go to basketball? Is that your, I said, you know, I, I used to, until the warriors tickets became astronomical. Yeah. yeah it costs oh. like 200 bucks to see a shitty team in a shitty seat. And I just, yep. you know, that's sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. That's why I really have never been, I mean, here they have the predators. Well, that's hockey, but I haven't been to one, anything of that sort because it's, it's unaffordable really. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotten ridiculously expensive, like everything else. Yeah. You know, you get me started on my, my rant, which is like, <laughs> it's Go like on. this is so, <laughs> so as we're doing these podcasts, I've been interested in getting a, uh, upgrading my microphone to maybe something like what you got going on over there. What is this? This is David Conrad's microphone. And, I, can, is, I mean, he records music on it. Does it look good? I, it looks I can like tell a, by looking pretty. at it that it's a very nice microphone. And oh. anyway, I was like kind of looking at this one microphone on Amazon. I can't really afford it right now, but I was like, yeah, I'd mm. like to get that. My, I went back there a couple of times. I was like, should I? No, no, I can't. I can't. I can't <laughs> afford it right now. And so I'm fucking bombarded. Every fucking website I go to now, not just Facebook, oh. but like the New York Times, it's whatever. It just puts that ad in there. Like you want yeah. it now? Come on, just click this and buy it. And I'm like, stop, leave me alone. They know what you want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're going to make sure you get it. But have you noticed there's more embarrassing things that you could look at anything and you know, they will right away. It's as if they were eavesdropping, not even in what you said aloud, but what you thought. And it's, it's out there. You are the person actually who posted something about an email you got from someone who said, Oh yeah, I have hacked you. And, you know, I've been on all your porn sites and well, I've been getting tons of those. And, and then I, you know, I ignored it. And then it says you've ignored with a different name. Now this person had a different name said you've ignored that. But now I have sent these pictures of you and your camera to all. <laughs> and I'm sort of terrified. I think I wrote back to you and said, what should I do? Should I just ignore this? Are they, are they really spying on me or do they know everything about me? Yeah. But apparently it's just what yeah. hackers do. Yeah. I Play mean, on I, your fears. That was a funny, that was a funny thread because, uh, I remember. So what did I say? Something like they, they, they claimed that they, it wasn't that they know that you've been watching porn because yeah. <laughs> who hasn't looked at a porn site yeah. whatever at some point, right. Or whatever. Yep. But uh, and and so what? Who cares, right? But it was like yeah. they said, we we captured your camera. We have video of you watching porn. So yeah. the implication there that you know it's uh, unflattering, know, right? let's say. And I was kind of like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> first of all, I have like a piece of tape over my uh, uh, computer camera, and I've been oh, doing God. that for years. Ever since, within a couple of days, I saw um, a photograph of Mark Zuckerberg in his office got a piece of tape over his webcam and the head of the oh. FBI at that time, I forget his name, had a piece of tape over his webcam. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put a piece of tape over my webcam too. Why not? What's how I better you know? go right now and do that. <laughs> well, don't, little... don't do it right yet. No, no, you know? no. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, but I actually but have I a do. piece. I take it off for like stuff yeah. when I'm Skyping, but otherwise. So anyway, I was like, you know, you'll be, dis if you do get, they said they were going to email the video <laughs> or a link yeah. to it to all my contacts. I've been waiting. I haven't gotten it yet. I know. I'm <laughs> sorry. But I was like, do you will be disappointed it will be audio only so <laughs> you know? i i know uh, even you know we're laughing at this and there's a part of me that is thinking oh my god this is really real this we're, we're making jokes but there is that guy out there or whoever it is with very yeah and, and peculiar names and 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 i noticed this phenomena a few uh, a few years ago and it's definitely for real and i've seen a couple of um journalistic pieces about it i actually thought about writing it up but i never quite got mm -hmm. the momentum to do it about how our phones are listening to us oh yeah yeah i'm, I'm absolutely convinced i noticed that too and, oh, yeah. and there's no way they couldn't be when you right. think about it yeah it's so. the micro and if you look at if you dig down deep into like your android acceptance and i'm sure the mm -hmm. apple thing says it's like we have the uh the capability and the right to uh you know monitor yeah. your microphone and whatever so but but yeah, I was with, I was with a friend and we were we were in upstate New York and she needed to buy an air mattress. Mm -hmm. So it was upstate New York. So we're in a Walmart and we're walking, uh, you know, walking around looking at uh, air mattresses. And then 
I go on Facebook an hour later and there's ads for air mattresses. And, oh, boy. And I knew I had never gone on Amazon ever looking for air mattresses. But it was like, wow, that's creepy. So it, anyway. And then, you, you know, you've, and now we're used to it. You know, you just probably every morning or whenever you're online, you see those things on the side and don't even realize how much. Right. I mean, it can also be horrible things like. You know, you go to the doctor or whatever, medical things, all kinds of stuff yeah. like this. Terrifying. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not paranoid about it, but I, yeah. I've taken basic steps. So I actually have an app on my phone that's a microphone blocker. So I've blocked the microphone oh. on all my apps except the phone itself. Um, oh, I should really, I do go through sometimes and click those things like they don't have permission, but right. I feel like they do have permission because yeah. <laughs> they, they take it. <laughs> but again, what's really strange about our society these days is that, I don't know if you remember this, uh, so I guess it was probably in the 90s when they introduced, what, what did they call the fast track system for cars? Like you get get the thing to go through tunnels without having oh, yes. to put change in, right? You could the just easy zip, pass. The easy yeah, pass, yeah. right, the easy pass. Right. And civil libertarians were like up in arms, like this is a, a, a horrible intrusion into our privacy because they could know if you went from like New York to Brooklyn and back to New York and went to New Jersey, your movements could be tracked. <laughs> and here we are 20 years later and everybody's like carrying this, uh, you know, tracking yeah. device in their pockets that's uh, that's listening to you all the time and everyone's like eh you know yeah i guess i'll get so me one of those google things so i can alexa so i can really talk to it like oh yeah i know right? i don't have alexis but you know now that you i took a picture recently of a some deer in a field and this is the first time i noticed this about two seconds later my android had a thing and it had it put the three pictures there that i had taken and said would you like to share this on whatever, you know, Google something? And so other users can know this, you know, this location in Shelby Park where the lovely deer are. And I hadn't posted them or anything. It just it was speaking to me about my my activity. And, and I, I should be aware of that. Yeah, surveillance yeah. is everywhere. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> on that cherry note, why, yes. don't we, why don't we have uh, have you read us a few poems? Okay. You know, it's funny, I, I when I did my reading, I, I thought I would read from my beautiful book, which I, if we were on live now, I could just hold it up and show you how yeah. lovely the I'll book hold is. Up, I'll hold up my copy. Here, here you go. Good. Oh, see? that's so nice. Yeah. It's good to see. Yes, it's <laughs> blue. But anyway, I went to the reading and I realized, I think this happened actually at Sensitive Skin at the Bowery one time. I couldn't read and maybe I had to borrow your glasses. I think I did. Oh, but yeah. I, could, I, I can't read. I mean, I can read it in the right light, but I, I was afraid I couldn't read it on stage. So now I've printed out many, many poems. So. Um, well, how many poems? Tell me how many. So, and then I can plan accordingly. Um, just should I, how many poems would be good? Do you think of a couple here? Well, three like or four. Three maybe. or four. Yeah. Maybe okay, some well, from the book or. Yeah. You know what? I'll read a couple from the book or maybe three, and then maybe I'll read a new poem. So I'm going to read the first poem in the book because it's somehow this seems like a good beginning and, um, it's called nature lesson. I don't know what's inside this once new black walnut. Someone picked it unmarred and bright from the wet ground, said, smell this. I had to press it to my nose. After five days on the table, the wrinkling, speckling seed or shell, which I couldn't tell had changed. The tough skin, today like a spoiling lime, has kept guarding the tang of damp woods in fall, burnt and shady, while also greenly still alive, yet even that scent has faded farther in. What I'd like is to carve this open with a small, sharp knife. If the heart can't reveal its own secret being, nothing can. And now this shriveling globe, its center hidden, offers only faint clues and tiresome supposition. I'm holding this roundness right in the curve of my palm. It's not enough. Here's the first cut. Watch closely. Okay. I want to read a poem for you, okay? Because right. this Perfect. next one, we've—I just touched my trackpad. I don't know whether it did, but you're still—I'm still there, right? Yeah. Um, I think when we talked on the phone from New York, when we discussed doing this book, we talked about—I we were talking about the loss of parents and and many many moments of some serious things. But anyway, this is this poem is called "Not." The deer are not angels. They're not your father waiting at the edge of the midnight woods to say goodbye before. With a kick of his hooves, he sets off for good or worse, stares with sad eyes as you drive away and leave him there. 
finally as alone as he feared. At the fields bend off the road, the deer seem to be waiting to take you somewhere as the mist that rises from the wet grass around them parts so you can see their faces turned back toward you, catching and holding your own gaze, distracting you from the drive in the dark you must make. You say they look like spirits. They're not. Even when you dream them later, surrounding you with their imploring look, they're not. So. Very hmm. nice. Very nice. I know. I feel like I'm picking all. I'm going to read poems of loss. What else is <laughs> there? there? You no. <laughs> love and loss. Okay. It all, all love ends up lost, perhaps. Well, actually, okay. I'm, I'm going to. I, I was going to read another one that sort of has a father figure in it, but instead, how about let's go with some? How about adultery? Let's go to adultery from. Oh, from there you go. Also, okay, <laughs> that's the way to go. Um, this poem is called "Birds." You've become lovers with a friend's wife. You tell no one, fearing that otherwise your lives will break apart. The pieces come flying at you like leaves whipping across the wet road at night. Last night, going home after seeing her again and trying not to think what her husband, your wife, others might do if they knew of your meetings. Those leaves flew up to your windshield so fast, at first you believed they were birds, and you ducked your head, nearly swerved, then felt foolish for behaving as though that could stop real birds from hitting a window. You know this kind of secret loving makes separations, finally, for everyone it touches, works like the wind driving those leaves so they seem to change into birds colliding with your vision. If you could keep calm, not react. If you could keep eyes open, not even blink. If you could catch the leaves, even as they transform, feathered and breathing, hold them in your hands, and then convince them somehow to begin singing until they all together lift into flight, lifting the two of you out of your lives together with them. While I was reading that, the little a door alarm went off, which is so, it's so the South and so Nashville. It's like, like <laughs> I, part of my heart started beating like, who's, who's breaking in downstairs. That, what does that mean? The door, what is the door? Alarm? It means actually that just someone opened the door. So, oh, okay. but, but, but it's also telling that if it's, if you're here alone and, and you hear that someone's broken in the door. Is that a Southern, a Southern thing? Well, it probably is America, you know, this sort uh -huh. of sense of, that, you know, we're not safe, but, See. but it's actually, I, when I first moved here, I was broken into it. I was actually working on some poems <laughs> in the little loft above the garage at my son's house and in the backyard. And, a guy, um, very sort of meth head guy came. He, he was super fueled with strength uh, out of desperation. Again, he pulled himself up onto this balcony that no one could get up to with one arm and was at my French doors, you know, trying to open them. And I was in my pajamas in the middle of the day wow. screaming at him. And I freaked him out. He fell over backwards. Oh, but I didn't see him after that. But, but then after that, wherever I've lived here, I've gotten an ADT security. Okay. So um, that's it. Um, I think, can I read a couple more? Is sure, that, please. Well, on, on that note, let's go for the Southern. Whoops. This is, um, this is a poem that I know I, one of the poems I asked you if I could add. <laughs> oh, this is actually not it. But it was a poem that I wanted to, to add late oh i don't know if i can find it let me get one second here okay you're gonna have to bear with me um it's the one about the south anyway i you were very patient with me because i kept saying can i just can i just throw in one more poem and you'd be like no <laughs> but i'll let you have that one okay <laughs> on i the, actually can't on the I on the pain see. in the asso meter you were you were like in the middle they've been worse believe me i i well if they were worse they're pretty bad okay i can't find the printout so i'm actually luckily you can't see them reading this with a magnifying glass <laughs> a sign of the age anyway it's called what i'm doing is i'm blowing my newly hyphenated life wide open like those dinner plate sized magnolias so expanded on shiny leafed laden branches weighing themselves down into dipping deep over the wall i haven't yet climbed they come from the half-hidden other side garden, opening from creamy fists into blossoms bigger than the most open-palmed hand, so welcoming that it would never be a smack. This is the South, they keep telling me, and not just crepe myrtle sprawls, but even bugs bloom bigger everywhere, breaking through the scrawl of heat as the season just explodes. These nights in parking lots where red taillights of dark-windowed cars tear off, kicking up the dusty gravel 
and what sounds like the heart-stopping crack of sprayed back bullets really is. When I did my reading, um, I guess it was last week, I kept thinking I should read some political poems because we live in a pretty dire political time. I was torn between no political poems because we need a break. And I decided this was, I, I didn't do the poem I was going to read. It was sort of a children in, children in war poem. But I read mm-hmm. this and when I got to the last line about bullets that they really are, I thought, well, that's also a political poem of sorts. Or, yeah, guess, there are bullets flying here and there. They really are. They are. So, but uh, thank okay. God we thank God we put out that instant ban on romaine lettuce. Really, we're so safe now. Are you feeling good? <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I hope you I, didn't have a Caesar salad for Thanksgiving. I actually uh, uh, I made myself a nice salad for lunch with a big head of romaine lettuce, and then I got online <laughs> and saw the warning. I was like, oh, oh well. I, you know. Oh my god! But yeah, yeah, hundred like how many? fucking dozens of people killed by guns every day and I know. Eh, thoughts and prayers oh my god a couple exactly. of people died of romaine lettuce That's get it. it i went to the supermarket later that day it was gone there was like an empty shelf where the oh. romaine lettuce used to be yeah when we want to do something we can make um, it happen um, and i guess it depends what the people in power want to America. <laughs> we're Americans, not Americans. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. I think you should write that. <laughs> that's it. Well, maybe I'll read. Should I read uh, two more poems? Sure. How about I read? Or maybe, okay. I was almost, I have three. Is three too many? Go I for it. Just, okay. So this one, um, another new one, I think. And, you know, you talked about sort of music and poetry. I just mentioned, you, you've mentioned that before, that somehow, because of both of those things are important in my life and I, I, I don't link them, but I guess here's a poem that has has music in it or uh, maybe the absence of music. And it's called Missing. Radio silence sets in. Who said we seek that solitary songless and sweetless time? Why would we? I'm going to stop saying that I do. Someone played piano for me and someone once before that, like in two poems I read where in each a grown man remembers a parent playing and himself sitting underneath or next to the thick strings vibrating into every chamber of being. I hear heart and soul, and then it's my own father's hands with mine. I hear Scott Joplin and the old and new standards, and it's someone else I'll love. It all fills me up. Its absence is what empties me. The dial turned all the way to the right, and not a sound. When I read this, um, someone said well who are the poems who are the poets in those poems so there was a dh lawrence poem and a donald justice poem they're both about a child sitting while the parent plays piano so it's it's always good to to throw those uh, references out i guess it's hard to hear poems i mean sometimes you know people have trouble i i often do too i need to read them on the page so i i hope i'm not making it too difficult so i'm going to read two more very very short things and one if i can find is something that's not in this book. Um, well, let's just choose it. Okay, here's one called um, The State of Changing from Something to Something Else. When they're dying, the black-eyed Susans finally live up to their name. Sunburned petals fallen, bright brown center turn the shade of blackberries such dark deep. Who says everything one does in the dark comes to light? You liked being told, I saw you take off your shoes for me. Now a person who once couldn't wait after days of longing to slide the clothes away, put hands all over you, forgets how your face looked at that moment the way you might have looked as a child, and you forget too, while the mirror won't remind you, the heart gets darker inside and will never help one see its disappeared shine. Okay, I can't end on a dark note. I got to go okay. back. This is the, this is the final. <laughs> Let's go poem. back to and the light. Back to the light. This is the light, I suppose. And this poem um, is actually the not the last poem in the book, but it's where the title comes from, "The King of the Fireflies." I have to tell you, I thought no one has made this up. I made it up, but then I went online at one point, and there's some like sort of punk rock song, or sort of we'll call it <laughs> neo punk rock called King of the Fireflies. Well, I have to buy it for 99 cents on Amazon. I'll, I'll report back to you. Right. Nothing new <laughs> under it, the sun. That's it. I know. Okay. And, and this is uh, called Walking Toward Me. And hopefully, but let's have a little, what's the word? A little hope in the world. Walking Toward Me. When the fireflies switch on, you're the king. They trace your shape like a giant halo. The dahlias in the garden 
still pop pinkly in the twilight, now with its yellow and green highlights of these bugs kids capture in rattle-lidded jars or squeeze tight fists to hold the glow. It sifts out like water or sand they want to scoop from summer's days and not let go. This is how you come to me at the fold of hours into dusk. I've been waiting. I read this at your at your 2010 reading, and, and you had a video of it, and it was you had a beautiful picture. I don't know where that painting came from, but it's on, you know, if you go to Sensitive Skin website, you'll, you'll see. I, I, I was younger, so it's good we're not doing a video, but, <laughs> but I read that, and um. And I remember thinking, wow, I've just found some amazing people and you know, they're, they're, they're listening and I'm getting, I'm getting and to read. Vice, I, was, I was so grateful to meet you all. Yeah, and vice, vice versa. And it's, it's good, uh, I really love your work and that's a beautiful poem. Thank you. And, Thank you. Uh, that's, You've been supportive. Well, that's why, we're, that's why I'm doing this, right? Just a good way to, good way to meet yeah. people. You know? That's it. <laughs> yeah, expand the community. Yeah. Well, you've done a good job. I'm I'm honored to be in it, and um, really, I look forward to your. I know you have some work. What do, what do they say in the hopper? <laughs> so yeah, it's hopping around. Had, well, I, I, you had a good story, so now I can't wait to to read your novel. So well, did you say ten thousand or how many words? Fourteen thousand so far. Uh, so. I was yeah, I was eleven. I'm up to fourteen. I'm just sitting down and banging out seven hundred fifty words a day. No matter That's how fantastic. long it takes. And I figure I'll have a first draft in a month and a half. I was very, I couldn't write any, I, I was totally blocked for about six months. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that writers block that there's such a thing. It yeah. was just like, it was just more like I couldn't just bear the idea of writing while I was trying to send this novel out that it's already completed. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, getting the, uh, uh, Wow, this is great, but not for us right now. Good luck placing this with you know yeah. so and so, and it's just like, oh come on, you know. That's so irritating. <laughs> so. Well, it will it will land somewhere. That's funny about the writer's block. Years ago, one of my students took a piece of paper and made like a three dimensional block and wrote writer's block, and then we just crushed it. So uh, just crush that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I, yeah, I just sit down and start typing. You know, that's, that's it. And, yeah, I love that you you say typing too, like because I'm thinking of typewriter even though i know yeah. it's it's the keyboard but it's, it's keyboard. the typewriter it's, that's it. yeah best so. class i ever took in school typing See, I didn't... typing in eighth grade oh i resisted because i was a girl and i would i decided to take shop or something because uh-huh. i wanted to show and i re- i really i type painstakingly with you know fingers but after a while your body sort of has the memory of um, my dog just came in i hear a dog as the memory of where the keys are but it, sometimes it doesn't work out quite right but I, i'm a i'm the queen of the typos actually so yeah i was doing i could do 100 words a minute and oh uh, that's fantastic that's, that's how i supported myself for for years and then it turned into like oh how come you're just doing that on an old typewriter and getting paid eight dollars an hour? If you do it on a WordPress processor, you'll get fifteen dollars an hour, which was oh yeah, big did money. Did you do that in, in New 80s. York? Was, yeah, that's what you, I did for yeah. years. Yeah, I was doing the doing the temp jobs and uh, yep. and doing the the graveyard shifts at like Lehman yeah. Brothers and stuff like yeah. that. So many of my writer and musician and artist friends. It, I mean, I just it was know all many writers and musicians and artists back then doing yeah. it. And for whatever reason, I don't know why that one just popped out at me. It was it was it Lehman or no no it was Shearson Loeb. Oh and I wow! Was, and I did the graveyard shift there, which was just and and yep. for some reason, half the people there were opera singers. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And like by about by about like five o'clock in the morning, it was like mm-hmm. about two thirds of the people there like basically had their heads on their desks. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, and then there were a few of us who were like really peppy and ready to go. <laughs> I wonder why <laughs> those days. <laughs> Oh, those days. I know. Yeah. We're glad we've left them behind. Glad we had them. Glad they're gone. Yeah, yeah, we had them. I know. I don't regret very few things I regret. So yeah. I, I think it all, it fuels everything that we have now. So yeah. you're lucky. It's good. All right. Well, well, it's been great talking to you. Have we been talking for hours? Yeah, oh, for we've been talking hour. for a long time. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks for calling me up. All right. <laughs> really. I'll, talk to you, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.